When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets, interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Hello. And welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. This is part two of my interview with production designer Janine Abamal. This is also the start of a one episode per month schedule. I know, I know, don't cry. It's going to be okay. With my work schedule right now on the film Moxie uh, for Netflix. And being a twin mommy. And also the holidays coming up, I just know that that's the best I can do. And I don't want to stop this because I really enjoy doing it. So let's try once a month till I can get get it back going. This week, I will also be on the Good Place podcast, talking episode eight, directed by Kristen Bell. The podcast is hosted by actor Mark Evan Jackson, and it was super fun to sit down with him and the writer, Josh Siegel who gave out a ton of extra little tidbits that you will love if you're into the show, and actress Dana Powell, who's also in the episode, super funny. Dana also has her own podcast called Rants and Raves, which I listened to two episodes already. It's super funny, it's a great concept, and it's about being positive and negative, but in a good way. So I recommend that. And I kind of want to hang out with her. And her co-host is really funny. As I've said before, I'm always overwhelmed when people reach out to me with questions about the sets or questions about the industry. It just shows me that you're paying attention to the sets, which I always think is awesome. And or you're listening to this podcast, which I am super flattered about. Quick questions through Twitter or email. I always try to answer them in a timely manner, so I hope I have gotten back to you if you have reached out. The question I get the most is, how do you get into set decorating? So I'm working on an episode, or I guess guess it's like a little tutorial of how I and many others got into set decorating and into the union, and specific tools or classes, and especially the attitude that you would need to thrive in this industry. I will be honest with you, and I will give you the good and the bad about it, which I hope, if you're hearing my interviews, I always try to talk about the ups and downs of each person's experiences in this industry, and I always try to ask how they got into this business, hoping that it's relatable to you if you're thinking about getting in. So I'm working on that, 
I have set decorators and production designers lined up for interviews, so I'm excited that I don't see this uh, going away anytime soon. <laughs> I hope hope, I'm, hope you're not disappointed by that. Um, but I have time off in the beginning of the year, and hopefully I'll get back to that twice a month schedule. And again, stop crying. It's going to be okay. Just re-listen to some old episodes. Just refresh. It's going to be great. In this part two of my interview with Janine, we talk about her ADG Lifetime Achievement Award, how she picks her projects, dreams of wallpaper, been there, done that, working with producers and budgets, and her interaction with writers on her projects. I hope you enjoy. I was lucky enough to be there this year at the ADG Awards when you got your Lifetime Achievement Award. That's what they give you when you're still standing. <laughs> and you've got a large mouth and you're not afraid to use it and you've lived long. I would say... That's the Now Please Get Off the Stage <laughs> Award. I think I've been to that award ceremony a couple times. Not everybody stays in the room. Do you know what I mean? It's a long ceremony. Oh, yes. We're there to celebrate, but yes. it's a long, it's a long ceremony. You get your rubber chicken. Johnny's playing. Right. Have it's a few great. drinks too, <laughs> man. Sometimes um, everyone, I think, stayed in the room for you because they want to hear you. You are so you're entertaining, and you <laughs> have a way of commanding the room. You do. I mean, uh, you, well, you really do. I think I've learned that there is very little enlightenment or education spread without a heavy dollop of entertainment attached to it. (laughs) And anyone who thinks otherwise, you know, good luck to them. Yeah. Well, especially That's in this I business. Say, especially <laughs> in this business. What, you're in the entertainment business? You're yeah. going to sit there with a sour, straight face and recite? Yeah. To me, I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. You know, that, yeah. does, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> you, I, I mean, the countless number of films that are iconic looking and people try to just mimic basically just watching your work trying to reproduce it I think at this point but so when you pick a a project how is that decision for you to go through like do I want is it do I like this period do I like this director do I like this script I mean I know it's a combo, no but... it's a little more complicated than that I think I'm drawn to things which force me to explore some aspect of myself. Maybe I've already explored that. Maybe it needs some more exploring. Maybe it's something I've never explored before. Maybe it's something about the character I'm drawn to because I think that I need to spend some time thinking about my life, myself, my family, my, my, my. Um, I want to find a way to explore life in general, and I'm attracted to things that force me to explore something about myself. 
I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. Something about myself or something about my relationship with a place or a period of time. And I, I don't know how I did. It's not like I say yes to things, to everything that's period, or I say no to things which are this genre or that genre. I'm open to anything as long as it speaks to me on some personal level. Everybody finds his or her way into a story mm. in their own way. And how I find my way into the story is an individual process. I think it's that for everyone. So I can't really say how I choose. I feel in some ways the projects choose me. Hmm. I mean, and I know that sounds crazy, but not since you just there described are, it that way. No, I, no, think I mean, I there, there yeah. are everybody who spent his or her life in the arts can probably attest to one day or another waking up and feeling like you're channeling something else that wants to get said or come out or be seen. I mean, I can remember sitting with five wallpapers the night before I knew I had to make the decision. Unable to kind of come to a conclusion. It was 9 or 9.30 at night or something. I was pretty damn hungry. So I said, okay, that's it. I'm just going to go to bed. I just can't, I can't achieve this tonight. I'll have to deal with it tomorrow morning and the painter will have to wait. <laughs> and in the middle of the night, I literally woke up and in the dream was one of the wallpapers. And I chose that one. And that was it. And I, I honestly have had that a few times where you just feel something wants to get out and is asking you to let it out of the box. I think many people feel that way and I felt that way and I feel that way about many of the scripts that I've worked on that this is a story who I helped get it out of the box, get it out of the writer's mind into the next level um, so that the rest of the world can see what it is that's chewing us up. And experience. I mean, you we're giving experience visually and really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the fact, I love that one commercial uh, that they did for the Academy Awards where they took all the set dressing away from the actor. And I think visually that helped so much <laughs> <laughs> for people to visually see, oh yeah, that's not just there. I've had many sets where actors walk in and think, oh man, this is great. Yeah. There was nothing here, man. <laughs> what do you think? Did you think that this was all here? Right. Like, well, you know, I had a very funny encounter on a film with a cameraman who kept telling me that this was a very small scene with only two people talking in a small room and I didn't need to worry much about 
the set decoration or the set. So finally I looked at him and I said, okay, I'll meet you tomorrow morning in the parking lot with two grip stands, a roll of duvetine. You can bring your nice lighting and good hair and makeup and good dialogue from the writer and we will see how many people want to pay $15 to see that damn movie. What an and there was a silence. And he just looked at me and he said, touche, touche. <laughs> but really, think about it. Who's going to pay $15 or more or less to go to a movie that's a black box movie? No. People don't do that. No. They go for a lot of reasons, one of which is seeing people live out their lives in environments. Yeah. Escapism to something that is not my life. So yeah. I, I, the environment's much more important than people think it is. And I, I've always gone through my life being very sensitive to environments. I have panic attacks that I have to control and suppress if I'm in, like say, a courtroom for a long period of time because they are so badly designed mm -hmm. and such airless rectangles that I start to feel anxiety. I can't be in that kind of place. This is not good for human beings. Right. So I just have this. Well, it's a weird, I mean, in design, <clears throat> a lot of the times it's meant to be like that. Fast food chains always have red and yellow. Stop and like go yes. and get get right. out of here. Hurry up and eat. Get down. There should be get never out. be red around when you're eating. That's <laughs> what I've always learned. So well, there's a reason why fast food restaurants only employ a certain number of very small colors. Very small number of colors. But but yeah, I I. I don't know if I have anything add to add, <laughs> but it's it's true. It's environments are much more important than people are willing to recognize. Yeah, they really affect everyone's states of being. Absolutely, you have worked with I don't know the best directors, like the like I don't know the best. Do you ever think you'd want to direct? Well, people ask me that, and they ask me, why don't you produce? The fact is that in Hollywood, designers are typecast in the same way actors are typecast. If you're a designer, and you have a good, solid reputation for being a designer, it's not so easy to crawl out of that without a large mentoring process around you, which takes an enormous amount of energy. And I'm not sure that I've ever been willing to go through that. Mm. I'm much better at standing beside another director and saying, are you sure you want to do that, boss? <laughs> if you can explain it to me. <laughs> Maybe I can make sense out of it to other people. <laughs> and they often look at me like, why are you, what are you, what are you saying that for? But I mean, usually it's because I detect something that's not 
solid. Yeah. And I, I think working long enough, you can see it sometimes before anyone else, too. You detect it before it's, before it's, it's, it's a disaster. This is, this is a problem. It's the Dixie Flyer coming down the train tracks, and we seem to be standing right on them. Perhaps we should move. Yes. Uh, I only know one production designer who has directed, and he found it. He likes it, and he w would love to direct more, but yeah. I don't think that he's given that opportunity because you are kind of like you're in this section kind of stay in your section type thing. At least that's what I think. I don't know the realism. I don't know other... Well, I mean, but. also the thing is, when I started in the film business, there really, in addition to there being few women in it, in my end of it, there were, there were no schools like there are today that were charged with giving people film educations. Having said that, I can still say, I don't know how anyone learns production design without being on the hoof and doing it and working on other people's projects. Because whatever they teach in school, I hope they teach people how to learn because that's the most important thing. Um, how to do it is something, if you know how to learn, it's mm. easy to figure out. Right. <laughs> how do you, uh, and I choose, but how do you pick a decorator for your, is it by project? <clears throat> is it by, I like, I like you, I like working with you. Well, I can depend on you. <laughs> I think, I think... It's always a complex process because it's a it's a relationship between and among who you know, the nature of the project, the rules of the producer, the personality of the director, the place you're going to, and you have to kind of analyze as many of those things as you can and make the best decision that you can. There are several decorators I've worked with who I would love to spend a great deal more of my life with them, but the producer won't pay them or doesn't want to travel them someplace they haven't been before or whatever reason. Right. Um, I like to see how, what kind of environment that person lives in. And I like to see what their personal choices are. And I like to feel that this is someone that I will enjoy spending time with over a long, difficult series of months. I mean, Leslie Pope and I, for example, I have some education in entomology and she has some education in science and biology as well. And every night around 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock, we'd stop talking about the film and we'd start talking about some idea 
that we had bumped into over <laughs> the class course of the last few weeks in the world of science and art and ideas. And it came naturally. And it was a kind of an interesting bond to find someone else who wanted to talk about, you know, fish sex changes or, you know, <laughs> oddball little things in the world of scientific idea. But you need that. I have to have that. <laughs> yeah. That keeps me going. It yeah. makes me think, oh, thank God there's a natural world out there, not just this built and constructed and manipulated film environment. You, you spend an awful lot of time together. You got to like the person. Oh, yeah. It's hell if you don't like yeah, the person. No, it's I, very uncomfortable. Uh, more than uncomfortable. It's unbearable. Yeah. It does not work. No. It, it makes everyone want to leave. I have definitely spent more time with my lead man, my crew, in the last 12 years than I have anyone else. Yeah. It's, you know, no, that's true. I have many art directors I've worked with who, with whom I've spent more time than their wives have during the course of a year. And we looked at each other one day and we realized that we started laughing. Do you have the same process when hiring an art director? Yeah. Yeah. It's similar because I need someone who can make me laugh, make me enjoy myself, make me enjoy the process and not be dour or sad and not be unfaithful and not be more <laughs> more willing to in, to listen to what the producer has to say than to what I have to say if it's a very difficult dance for an art director unfaithful is a very good word because there is an alliance that we all have with each other and it's hard because you do have to play. Yes. I got yes. this hat on over here and I yes. got this hat on over here. Yes. And you're trying to please a lot of people, but you have to have alliance. You have to be faithful to someone or you're just going to, you're going to kill yourself trying yeah. to make everybody happy. No, it's important to have a sense of loyalty to the extent that it makes sense. I, mean, I always say to people who work with me. Now think about this. Just because the director said this is the way he or she thought it needed to be or it had to be doesn't mean that you're going to be like a sheep or a lemming and leap off that cliff right behind that person. Sometimes you need to stop and look at that person and say, okay boss, when you get to the bottom of that cliff, tell me how it is down there and whether the rest of us should follow or whether we'd like a hand being hauled back up here again. Because part of what your job is, it's like everyone's job, part of what it is is to make sure that the, those people don't injure themselves and the project. You have to protect them as well as your people working with you. It's your job. You have to look out for their best interests. Yeah. Not necessarily your own. Theirs and the projects. Everyone's there because they're supposed to be looking out 
for the project's best interests. How do you feel about um, what gives the best production value when you're designing? Do you look for, like, I'm sure that goes along with whatever the script is. Are we location dependent? Are we building? Are we, but in your all, in a perfect world, in a perfect, <laughs> in a perfect film. Mm-hmm. Well, perfect film is never perfect, but it is made more so by careful, intelligent, judicious choices. There's always one or two environments in any film which are not what they should be. And they're not what they should be because there wasn't enough money or because it didn't exist where you were supposed to make the thing for a whole lot of reasons. You have to do your best to try to disguise that and to make live, keep it all at a certain level. Um, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about it. It's mm. a difficult process. I don't have, I don't, I try not to go into it with any set in concrete preconceived ideas about how something has to be or will be or needs to be. I think it's often better to be able to play fast and loose with a script and the environments as written because sometimes you find things that are inspiring to you and they aren't what's written. And you can talk other people into them because they're not what's written, but somehow they answer the question of what's needed very well. I mean, if I'm given a script that calls for someone to fall off a huge cliff into the ocean, and I'm told we have to make it in Nebraska, well, I'm going to have to go looking for some other tragic environment because a cliff into the ocean is not going to exist in Nebraska. Right. (laughs) And the script's not going to be rewritten before they send me off with it. No. So that's part of what it is. It's like keeping your mind and your eyes and your emotions open for other ways to solve the same problem that's presented in the story. It's all about problem solving, really. It's all, it, it shouldn't be a problem. It's a great experience. It's a movie. We're going to do this. But it's a problem. And, and, and the ending, the, the end of the film is pretty much, we solved it, kind of, We've, in the best of our ability. Yeah, I mean, problem solving is one of those phrases that designers and architects use all the time. And it tends to get overused but only for lack of a better expression because that is what it is and by problems we don't necessarily mean terrible things we mean situations that require new thinking and a new solution to a situation that exists and that's how the word problem gets used, and often people conflate that with, 
a difficulty, an insurmountable, ugly situation, but really it just is a set of conditions with which you're being presented that require some kind of new thinking to find the solution. Do you ever uh, think, I can't, I really want to do this project, but the budget's too oh, low? I've killed several. Yeah. I, 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 I put up my hand and say, I have killed several films, not willingly, not happily, but because when the producer calls you and asks you how much something is going to cost, then you say, at the lowest level, you are going to need at least $350,000 for paint and construction. And this is why there are X number of sets and it's set here and it has to be looking like it's here. And they come back and they say, well, we have $50,000 and you just have to back into the number. My response is no, I don't have to back into that number. I can back out of this project, which is what I have to do right now. Thank you. Yeah. Perhaps if you call the Art Directors Guild, you can find some other fool who <laughs> will tell you that it can be done, and then you will dis determine that that person too eventually will tell you it cannot be done. Or they will, and they'll kill themselves trying to get it for 50 and it grand, work. and it won't work. It's, it won't work. Right. I, I find that when there's a fear, there's, it's almost a fear base that they put into you sometimes of like, well, this is the money you have. This, now we have to get it done, make it look like that. And it's sort of like, well, I didn't write these words. I didn't write glamorous hotel for $10. So I don't know what you want me to do. You're going to have to, something's got to give here. I don't know how to do that. Well... It's a very difficult problem. When it's that extreme. Yeah, There's, it's, a, it's yeah. a very difficult yeah. problem. They get a certain amount of money and they have to spread it around, but it's the bully activity that makes people disbelieve them. And I always say, well, okay, here's the situation. You have just walked into the Ferrari store you have pointed to a car and said, this is the car that I need, I want, and I'm going to buy. And I have said to you, that car is $350,000. How would you like to pay for it? <laughs> and they say, no, I want exactly that car, but I'm only going to pay $150,000 for it. And I say, okay, what do you not want? Right. Wheels. Do you not want wheels? <laughs> Do you want, not want an engine? Do you not want upholstery? Do you want no paint job? Tell me what you don't want because what you have given me is going to cost this much money rock bottom. If we don't have that much money, then everyone needs to sit together to discuss what scenes need to be gotten rid of because we shouldn't be told to do a shitty job on right. everything right? because that's what the situation is. We need to come to some understanding and some compromise and no one's willing to do that by and large. 
that's the problem that yeah. needs to be solved. And I've seen it solved by producers who basically have a way of sitting down and figuring out or getting more money or yeah. doing what they have to do. Um, and I've seen it not solved and things have gotten ugly. But I, I would say to people, you can't call a plumber and expect them to show up and expect it to only cost what you want it to cost. Yeah. Yeah. You won't have the job done. So it's the same in the film business. This is what this costs. You'd like it to cost less. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. You, you know, the, these are the prices and conditions as mandated by the union system. Yeah. They never want to pay more. <laughs> well, obviously they don't. I always kind of like say to them, like, you know, it's not your money. <laughs> and you're acting like it's your $10. But really, it's not your money. Come on. <laughs> like, help us all out right. here. Yeah, uh, it's, you know. Yeah, it should be. But that's a hard a mutual job, for job them too. and most producers who are good at it absolutely know that. Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely know that and they will do the best they can to help everyone arrive at the correct solution for that project. It isn't good to just go beat up the people who you think can be beat up like the design department and the costume department. We're always first on the list because yeah, they yeah. really have no idea what we do. No. Um, they, they don't. Um, so, but that's part of why we're talking, you know, it's yeah. to, I mean, I have never yet on a, any movie, no matter if it was a $3 million film that I worked on, walked into any place and had it be exactly what the characters needed in terms of color or objects in that house. Never. It hasn't happened in my entire history. Hmm. It has not happened in my history that there is no paint, and it has not happened in my history that there is no carpentry, no matter how small the requirement, it's always a requirement somewhere down the road. There's no such thing as a construction and paint and decorating free movie. If there is, it's called the documentary. Yes, <laughs> and then we're all it's out a of different, jobs. <laughs> it's a different genre. So, you know, the job is to give the story an environment to function in, to breathe in, and to speak. And that's a big job. Yeah. And you do it by instinct. You do it in service to the script. You do it in service to the director. And you try like hell to do it in service to the amount of money that the producer is able to commandeer to do it. And nobody does it perfectly. Hmm. <laughs> I don't. Um, do you, uh, I'm, I'm really going to wrap this up, but I do want to know your interaction with writers. 
do you try to get like pin down the writer and say look I have like 10 questions here or like what um, do you think about well sometimes you never see the writer they're gone and off yeah. and doing something else and sometimes the writer is around a lot and I happen to have an affection for writers I understand how their warped little minds work and I like talking with them. I like hearing what they think and how they think it. And the writerly imagination, I have found works in a quite different way from the visual imagination. For example, when I was working with Hector Babenko on Ironweed and we went to Albany, where the story is set, to look for the locations. Bill Kennedy, who was the author of the novel and many other novels and the screenplay, took me around in Albany and in Byrnes to all the places that had inspired him in the course of his writing the book. And I came home and I was practically in tears. I called Dr. Babenko and I said, I certainly hope that he does not think that we are going to shoot in the places that inspired him because I can find nothing there for us or the camera. Oh, God. It was a moment of... <laughs> but Phil was very generous and he said, okay, I've done my job, now it's your turn to go do yours. So I did. I went out and trolled all around the whole Albany neighborhood and found things that were interesting to me that I thought would tell the story in a better way, visually. Yeah. And I was grateful to him for his input. I was grateful to him for the lesson that he gave me in how a writer's imagination is different from a designer's imagination. Um, and what you find is that directors' imaginations are different from yours. Writers are different from yours. Everyone's got a certain area that comes easy for them where they work comfortably. And that's the best place for you to be once you find that out. But I, I, I like talking with writers. And if the writers are the directors, it becomes more difficult. Because if a writer has written the script and then is directing it too, things really are set in concrete. Right. Because they visually... Because they're, they're visually... Because they that. really are married to the idea, not once, but twice. And if it's an idea that's difficult to do, and you talk about why it's difficult to do, and why maybe it shouldn't be that way, you may have to just sort of figure out how to get it done. And my policy always is complain once, listen to what you've heard, get grouchy about it for the next 20 minutes, and then just get it done. <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to have to do it anyway. Yeah, right. You're, gonna, you're really going to have to do it anyway. So, yeah. 
that's my hissy fit and, and let's right. get to work get it over with <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and i tend to work best <laughs> with people who are the same way as i am about that emotionally i have to be allowed my time to be grumpy about it yeah and it's a process. once i'm over <laughs> it okay let's just you know figure it out what do we have to do to figure this out yeah do you think of any projects in the future that you would like to tackle? I'm waiting for one right now, even as we speak. I was about to pack my bags and go off to do it a month, a couple months ago. And now it's going to perhaps be packing the bags within two weeks and going to a different place, <laughs> or it will be packing no bags and looking for something else to do. Because I mean, I'm operating as many of us are in a fragile area of the film business right now, which is the area of medium budget, independent, smart dramas. I'd hate to say it's on death row, but there are days that it feels like it is. Yeah. It's a huge thing in the industry of, of films. There's hardly any films anymore, I feel. There's huge big budgets, and then I feel really all of the independent films, all the little independent companies got bought up, so they're not really independent films anymore. And so you, you really, it's hard to find middle, middle budget films. And I don't even know, like the, I mean, I don't even know what's out right now. I really, I mean, I know the Tarantino film's out and I don't know what else is out right now. It's bad. It's such a swing, I feel like. And it's, I mean, it's an ebb and flow, but it's such a swing right now for films. Well, the only certain thing in life, of course, is change. Ooh. And I once had a sign in my office that the art director put up because he was so tired of people coming in and saying, where, 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 where? This was this way yesterday and today it's this way and rah, rah, rah. And he would just point to this big sign. Sometimes things change. See that sign? <laughs> That's all he needed to say. Because the whole point of being in the film business, or let's put it another way, the kind of personality you need to have for survival in the film business is flexible, flexible, <laughs> flexible. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really in capitals. <laughs> screaming flexibility every day and it's really the one thing you can count on every day we're gonna it's gonna change it's probably gonna change so let's just go for a and be pre prepared for z <laughs> yep absolutely you know it's the way it has been and the way it will be and some days it just feels more chaotic than others Oh. Uh, I hope you get whichever project that makes you feel better. 
<laughs> the, I hope the project makes you wake up in the middle of the night and pick out lovely wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. Hope springs eternal, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, you're very welcome. You're amazing, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I hope it comes through how grateful I am that she spent this time with me. Her work of this craft should be studied, and obviously it's in production design classes, it's, it has to be, but it should be, it's, it's, it's a standard, it's unbelievable. I rewatched Pleasantville, Catch Me If You Can, and LA Confidential recently, and not only are they great films that I've seen a million times, but the design is impeccable. I feel like I pick up just these little details every time I watch them. It's incredible. I feel like one of the biggest compliments that I get usually is, oh, I thought you shot that at a real hospital, or I thought there was a real campaign office. It was a set? Yeah, it was a set. We did it all. Nothing was there before we got there. And that always feels good that we've sort of tricked people. But for someone to say, we wanted to look like LA Confidential. We wanted to look like that set or that movie or that designer's work. That's a huge compliment. I mean, I've been told that we wanted to look like, you know, this set from that movie. And that's a compliment to the production designer and set decorator who have done that. I don't, I don't think anybody's saying that about my work, but uh, I think that's probably the ultimate compliment. At least for me, it would be. I mean, I think, I think that's the goal. I hope you got an earful. I'm Kim Wanup for Decorating Pages. I know you enjoyed this episode. You're still listening. So do me a favor. Rate this podcast on iTunes. It's super easy. Just click five stars. And voila, you're done. Decorating Pages is sponsored by Stogie Floaty. Float them if you got them. On sale now at stogiefloaty.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.